Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way. As we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions, as decided by us. Now, that being said... We are open to other ideas. So if you have any burning questions that you want answered, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london. That's stack, S-T-A-K dot London. Or you can find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Now, if you are a new listener, welcome. But just to be clear, Michael cannot give you free medical advice. Not because he doesn't want to, uh, but because he's, he's literally not able. Uh, because he is, get the prop. There it is. What does your mug say? Not a real doctor. That's right. Not a real doctor. It's not actually true. I am a real doctor. I'm just not a medical doctor. Yeah, so not a real doctor. Uh, have you been? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Enjoying the weather? Oh, yeah. It's been, it's been toasty, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's been too much occasionally. But I was walking down the street like in the hottest day of the year. How's it? Thinking, thinking, if I was on holiday... This would just feel great. I would be like, oh, perfect vibes. You know, this is, this is all good. But uh, actually, as it was, I was like, oh, this is just too hot. I, I think you're wrong there anyway. I think it's too hot even to be on holiday. No, that's not true. Because you, you can find, you can like walk down the street, you're going to a bar, you're going to a restaurant, you're going to have a nice lunch. It's, it's like, all fine. It's 40 degrees or something. Yeah, that's but I'm, I'm saying like for, for two or three minutes walking down the street, yeah. it's all right. Yeah, I, I listen. I'm a high 20s guy. <laughs> Very happy in the high 20s. <laughs> uh, also, because obviously I do the, um, don't like to talk about it really, but I do the national radio show uh, on a daily basis every morning. Did we talk quite a lot about the weather? Yes, we did. <laughs> did, did, did it feel like the only thing we talked about? Yes. So, Did you have to do outside broadcast from uh, yeah, some place where it was relevant if you, it was really hot or you know you were standing by a l- pool or anything like that? Luckily, no. We didn't get the uh, the assignment to go and um, you know stand by a Lido, <laughs> which I noticed that the breakfast <laughs> telegraph were doing. Yeah, it was so, so crowded by the side of Lidos across the country. It is, it? and it's just... It's, I mean... You know, There's just reporters everywhere just in suits. Just a- agonising stuff where it's just like sticking a microphone in the face of an old lady who's trying to swim (laughs) is it nice in there yeah it's nice and um it's hotter than normal of course isn't it yeah it is yeah Yeah. and and the water's cooling you down absolutely lovely lovely to speak to you uh, audrey (laughs) now (laughs) i mean that is literally that is my job that's what i do Um, yeah but you didn't you didn't have to do that i I didn't didn't have to do that and i was quite pleased i was glad 
for all sorts of reasons that the heatwave uh, only lasted for a couple of days because I don't think I could have done another day of talking about it. <laughs> <genuinely>. <laughs> well, I've got news for you because we're going to be talking about it right now. Oh, God. You're not sending me to a lie, though, eh? <laughs> <laughs> We're reporting about about climate change from the side of a lie, uh, No, uh, we just kind of... You do have this sense, or I did have this sense during the heat wave that it was like, I can't enjoy this because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is not a good thing. you know. No. And, I, and I know we got lots of sort of, you know, warnings about that on the media, that this is not a good thing. But it was definitely there in my mind, you know. It's like, basically, you know, this is going to happen more and more often, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's what all the climate scientists... I, the sense that I got from the climate scientists that I know is that they're basically all just a bit fed up because they've been banging this drum yeah, yeah, for yeah. ages and everyone's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then even in the 40-degree heat in the UK, uh, people are still being like, yeah, we don't know it's climate change, though. And they're like, fuck me. I mean, what, what? Like, bits of the country are bursting into flames. Yeah, yeah. That's what's Literally, happening. the M25 was yeah. on fire or something, what, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, Dartford was yeah. on fire. <laughs> what? Like, it, clearly something is going That's wrong That's normal, here. is it? Dartford's yeah. on fire. <laughs> and like, the, all that, the loads of houses in London yeah. caught fire, didn't they? Uh, Barnsley, like, I mean, yeah, all over yeah, the place. Nightmare. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that was, it, it's obviously awful. But it did mean that the kind of the reporting of it was slightly different because normally, like, it's just every heat wave, it's just photos of uh, of attractive young people on, on the beach. It's yeah. sort of it is, and pictures of buckets and spades. But because stuff was on fire, yeah, it yeah. got a bit more sensible coverage, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the simple fact is we know that those extreme weather events are going to be more intense and more frequent, and that is due to anthropogenic climate change. It and is. It's unequivocal. It's not a... There's no debate. And that, to be honest, there hasn't been a debate about it since I studied it, which was over 20 years ago. How's it's it? the same. Yeah, thank you. It's the same. It's just the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now finally, it's getting quite bad, and people are starting to wake up to it. Um, my... I'm not like one of these techno-optimist guys entirely, but I do have a slight leaning towards it. In right. That, uh, there's there's a part of me that just thinks, well, someone somewhere clever is pouring money into sort of figuring out um, smart ways out of this, yeah. smart ways of okay. mitigating. Um, I mean, essentially on the basis that we're pouring so much money into trying to get to Mars that we must be pouring a lot of money into you know, geoengineering. I mean, I can understand why you made that assumption. And I have done a deep dive into that uh-huh. for this week's show. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, we'll see whether your assumption bears out, shall we? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Tropical temperatures across a brown and blazing land. The heart of England, today hotter than the Caribbean and Western Sahara. Ought to be a critical warning for everyone in this country, but especially our policymakers, that climate change is not something to be ignored. It's a really critical issue that we have to address as a country and as a world. 
As technology has advanced, so has our energy consumption. Whether it's our insatiable desire for new tech gadgets or even the normalisation of jumping on a plane, our consumption of fossil fuels has increased significantly over the past half century, around eightfold since 1950, and it's roughly doubled since 1980. But as well as being partially to blame for our climate crisis, technology might also be the answer to fixing it. That's why this week we're asking, can technology save the planet? Who have we got then? Dr. Gernot Wagner. Gernot? Yeah, as in Juggernaut. Have you made that up? No, no. Gernot? I've never come across a Gernot. No, no. G-E-R-N-O-T. So you've got to put a bit of thought into that. But Gern- yeah, that's that's Gernot. his name. I mean, normally we don't fixate on 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 our expert's name. No, but, but we've never had someone called Gernot before. No, no. He is a climate economist at Columbia Business School. So he works Sorry, on... Sorry, just, just to go back quickly. We do sometimes obsess on our experts' names, normally when they're called uh, Crookshank, because, of course, you can't say it. Crookshank. I just did. Oh, uh, you can now. Yeah, I've but been working on About it. 15 times you called a Creekshank. <laughs> <laughs> Seminal moment early on in the life of your... Ego. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't get that episode, if you haven't listened to that, it's worth going back. Uh, I can't Which remember, episode was I can't it? remember what the subject All I can was. remember is Creekshank. <laughs> you just repeatedly say Creekshank. <laughs> Anyway, Gernot might be our new Greek Gernot, it basically works on everything and anything related to climate risk. Uh, Pricing it, climate policy. Um, He also wrote a book called Geoengineering the Gamble. Right. So when you say pricing, you literally mean sort of like a bookie. Yeah, because people, you, you, I mean, for a start, you can hedge against climate change. So mm-hmm. you, you can, you, you, there are financial instruments for sort of mitigating the risk. For instance, yeah, you, know, you can buy insurance. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's financial instruments to do with carbon uh, pricing as well. Yeah, so, got you. So, yeah. So there's a lot. I mean, and some people think that's a really strong motivator that's going to change the picture on you know businesses actually getting involved with climate changes when it starts to affect their bottom line you know so you, so maybe economics is the way forward but he's actually also looked at the technology questions and uh, and and really sort of come to some stark conclusions about where we go with this i also think he's listened to our ai episode oh, and got himself a job that he can't be replaced in yeah because uh, climate economist safe yeah, safe yeah. as houses yeah um and uh, i don't want to spend really any time on this but just very quickly Climate change is real, and it's man-made. Yeah, we're not having a debate about that. It's Good. just physics, right? It's the laws yeah, of yeah. physics. So you put carbon dioxide or methane or other gases that basically are really good at holding heat, and you fill your atmosphere with those, then all the energy that comes from the sun kind of basically gets trapped around our atmosphere like a blanket, and just it just it's just warming the planet. I mean, it's, it's sort of... You know, so, so if you're burning diesel and coal and petrol... The uh, the byproducts of that are carbon dioxide, or include carbon dioxide. That stays in the atmosphere. It holds in the heat. The planet warms. It's just physics, right? Yeah, so straightforward. We we, we can leave that alone, except as a problem, and, and try and look at solutions. Yeah. Um. So apart from obviously curb the emission of greenhouse gases, stop burning fossil fuels, etc. Yeah. What can we do? Because and and it, I think I'm right in saying that this is like. We've been wondering about this for a while. It's not like a new question. Yes, yes. So, like the first, the first real sort of official asking of the question about okay, can can technology fix this blanket issue? 
uh, was in 1965. So P- President Lyndon Johnson had advisors like talk to him about like, you know, or maybe there are technological fixes for, you know, which shows you that we have known that this blanketing issue is going to be there, mm. you know, f- for, well, you know, more than our lifetimes already. So, you know, it's just ridiculous that, that we're and would still... you say there are any um, sort of powerful uh, corporations that have had an interest in us <laughs> not particularly tackling it? I, I mean, it, it does seem hmm. that certain hmm. certain corporations right. involved in the fossil fuel industry hmm. um, haven't had much motivation to change the status quo, shall we say? I think we could probably say that. Yeah. In fact, I mean, it's a matter of record that they have paid people to confuse the science. Thank you so much for doing that, (laughs) you colossal pricks. Yeah. It's it's just such a sad, sad thing. But Mm. um, there's an amazing book uh, by Naomi Oresk and Eric Conway called The Merchants of Doubt. And it talks about like the ability to just buy in people who will lobby politicians about oh well we can't be sure about this mm. and the tobacco industry did it for decades and, yeah. and just did a really good job of like showing how you could do this and you just all you have to do with politicians is say oh no it's, there's, there's doubt about that so you don't have to do anything and the fossil fuel industry has been doing exactly the same thing so and that, that that is yeah and that's the the key you don't actually need particularly to demonstrate uh, another position it's just about sowing enough doubt yeah that it makes it seem like it's a sort of, like, it's a debate. Yeah. So the Global Warming Policy Foundation in this country, yeah, yeah, for example, yeah. has, has just done exactly Talking that. Talking of colossal pricks. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I, 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 ooh, I wonder how the BBC will feel about me. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe I should say it. Yeah, maybe you say it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, basically, they are colossal pricks. And uh, uh, Oh, steady on. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, you know, people have been asking the question, can we sort of fix it, right? You know, mm-hmm. if, we, if we don't reduce the amount of fossil fuels we burn, if we don't reduce the CO2 going into the atmosphere, surely there's a way around this where we can do something about it. And you can come up with theories for how you can do this, right? And because the, it, it's not that the CO2 itself heats up the planet. What it does is it traps the heat. So you, you just say, oh, well, let's remove the source of the heat, right? Mm-hmm. So what you say is, okay, well, um, how can we do it? We'll just stop the sun's rays, basically, or s- stop a proportion of the sun's rays hitting the Earth's surface or, or you know, coming into our atmosphere. Ah, and therefore, big, big brollies? Basically, yeah. I mean, you know, you, so you can, um, you only need to really block about 4% at the most, of, of, of the energy. Okay. And, and you could take Earth back to its pre-industrial climate. So so you would say, okay, well, that's, that should be fairly straightforward, shouldn't it? Um, you know, we'll, we'll just put up a big brolly in space, mm-hmm. say. Maybe a couple. Maybe a couple, just to be on the safe side. Um, I'm, some people have talked about painting the Earth's surface white so that it just reflects the heat back, or reflects the energy so like back. paint loads of roofs white, that sort of thing. Yeah, and use yeah. lighter concrete on roads and... And yeah, so so that's you know just looking at the physics, right? That's that's an option, right? Because mm-hmm. that, that gives you some sort of improved uh, reflection, so you you just get all the energy reflected straight back into space, as it does from the polar ice caps, you know, or what yeah. what remains of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so so you can you can do something like that. So so solar geoengineering, it's called, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea is to find ways to kind of reduce the the amount of solar energy that heats up our planet that you know that keeps the energy here because we've got a blanket 
there's options. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it, it, it's not just a giant brolly, is it, or painting roofs white. There are other things, presumably. <laughs> I mean, so so the 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 giant brolly is actually yeah. a giant mirror in space. Uh, okay, yeah, so similar. So sort of a similar idea. Um, and, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's not very well thought through yet. Where would you put them? So you actually put them... Um, at, that's, that's known. You put that at the Lagrange point, uh, L1, which is where the gravity from the Earth is exactly the same as the gravity pulled yeah. from the sun. Yeah. So they, they all just sit so there. sits there. Yeah, yeah, sit yeah, there, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and so this guy in 2006, an astronomer called Roger Angel, came up with a plan that was published. Uh, and his, but his plan was, um, obviously it costs a lot to launch stuff into space, right? So you mm-hmm. want really light things. Mm-hmm. So he came up with the idea of something like about the size of a butterfly that you can just fire up into yeah. Space okay. that's not too heavy, um, and you basically need about sort of um, sixteen trillion of them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like a good plan. <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> Would you about see them? Uh, sort of weird. You might swarm of tiny. I guess if they if they were close enough together, they, yeah, 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 you might you might see them. It's not going to happen, so don't worry about seeing them because you know. No, no, nobody, I, I, mean, you know, I, I, has, I sort of guessed that. it. Yeah, so yeah. not going to happen. I mean, the other another idea is like, okay, clouds. The tops of clouds will reflect back some light. Okay, yeah. So uh, so if we increase the brightness of the tops of the clouds. So they reflect back more light yes. and energy. Yes. Then you know that's basically you can do that by putting seawater or salt salt crystals from seawater on onto the top of the clouds or ice crystals. You you can basically you know find ways to brighten these. You're just hosing clouds. down the top of clouds. Yeah. 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 So so um, that was I'm, a bit more doable. It's sort of doable, isn't it? So that's you know that's one option, and and you know we'll go into more of that that later. But basically, the one that seems to have the most traction is a thing called stratospheric aerosol injection. So the idea is to put tiny particles, like aerosols, Mm. into the stratosphere. So if you have them at our level, Mm -hmm. planet level, the troposphere, then obviously you get a lot of the the sun's rays sort of already already here. It's kind of too late, right? So the idea is, okay, if we can have a, a bit more reflection at the top of the atmosphere, then you can basically, you know, get rid of a lot of the problem. This is just the geezer's butterflies, but smaller, isn't it? Well, yeah. sort of. Yeah. But, but the things reflecting. But it feels more doable. Yeah. Because right? yeah. you're not sending stuff into space. No. <laughs> so, so, so this is, you know, it's sort of a bit like what a volcano does. So, so, you know, a volcano erupts, you get sulfate Throws. particles yeah. up in the upper atmosphere because mm-hmm. there's so much force. So they mm-hmm. go up really mm-hmm. high. And that actually has a, a cooling effect. Oh, I think I've got a really good question, but maybe not for now. Well, I'll ask it and then you tell me if it's it's for now. Given that all of these measures presumably affect the entire planet, how, who decides that we're going to do it? We'll get to that. Yes, it's a good question, isn't it? It is a good, oh, you love being told it's a good question. Yeah, yeah, it's my favourite thing. (laughs) Um, Let's go back to these these various uh, harebrained schemes. Are any of them going to work? I'm going to let Gernot answer that. One of the core characteristics of solar geoengineering is it is fast, cheap, and yes, also imperfect. What do I mean by fast? Um, 
CO2, every ton of CO2 released today, essentially stays in the atmosphere forever. Uh, not literally forever, something like 40% of the CO2 will still be there a thousand years from now. That is long term. Now, solar geoengineering is relatively fast. When Mount Pinatubo erupts in the Philippines in 1991, global average temperatures are half a degree centigrade cooler the following year, almost immediately. That's a powerful potential intervention. And I mentioned volcanoes, so yes, um, there is a natural analog, but of course the big difference here is that solar geoengineering is about potentially doing it deliberately, potentially deciding actively as a global community and, you know, who decides who the we is here, of course, is one of the bigger questions, but to deliberately try to manipulate the global climate, lower global average temperatures. Well, I've nailed it with my question, haven't I? Yeah, you, you have. Well done, you. Please with that. Well done, you. So, but I mean... I guess ultimately we don't know if any of that will work. Uh, Is that what I'm taking from yeah, that? Yeah, it's kind of true. I mean, as he says, it's imperfect and, and we don't yet know anything about this. Mm. But basically, if it did work, if it were to work, mm. it would buy us some time, wouldn't it? Because yeah. I mean, obviously it's not yeah. a solution, right? The solution is to reduce your carbon emissions and extract carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere as much as possible. That's That's your actual solution. Yeah, because this That's is tackling, this is a levels. symptomatic kind yeah. of approach, isn't it, rather yeah. than... Yeah. yeah, so, you know, we're not talking about addressing the root cause of the issue here, but we can, like a volcano does, we, you know, we can prevent energy from getting trapped in Earth's atmosphere. And, and that's the sort of, you know, the way to go. If you've got no traction on actually getting people to reduce carbon emissions, mm. then you would say, well, you know, maybe we've just got to do something. And you know, and the volcano is a good example. So, so Mount Pinatubo, when it erupted, it put so much stuff into the stratosphere. The stratosphere actually heated up by three and a half degrees because you know the, the, you were just getting this energy sort of you know that was trapped mm -hmm. and, and, and sat up there. But the uh, troposphere down here was basically around half a degree cooler for about a year or more. So that's pretty good, isn't it? So you sort of think, oh, that kind of, yeah. you know, that kind of works. Nice like he model. says, it's fast yeah. mm -hmm. and it sort of works. I mean, the thing to realise as well is that actually it, it led to an increase in temperature difference between the equator and the poles. So, so it changes sort of local temperatures as well. It's not just that everything gets cooler. Mm. Some places get more cooler than others, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Um, and so, and that produces wind, you know, vortex dynamics in the sort of atmosphere and stuff as well so so it's not just like oh everything's cooler that's 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 great so there's also effect in terms of you know cyclones and, and everything else that might come out of it so you know but but it's still mm. it, it, it solved the problem effectively yeah it's an interesting sort of proof of concept isn't it clearly we're not going to be going around just sort of erupting volcanoes <laughs> so of the methods that you mentioned which is the most likely to be feasible so the little space butterfly mirrors. <laughs> I think like you've there. answered your own question like on that one. Yeah, yeah. But the the kind of the aerosol injection, stratospheric aerosol injection. Yeah. So so feels... that is the one that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has sort of said um, it's sort of the most research method and the sort of general high agreement that it could limit warming. So so you could 
use this to limit warming. How am I getting the stuff up there? Nobody's quite sure yet. <laughs> Classic. But uh, one option is like tethered balloons. So you like literally put some balloons up in the in the stratosphere. Go on, Branson. Make yourself useful for <laughs> <Yeah. once. laughs> Branson, press the button. <laughs> So you, you basically, you know, put these balloons up in the stratosphere, you know, that are loaded up with with sulfate particles, and you just inject them into the stratosphere. And you have to do it in a way that, like, they don't fall straight back down again. So you don't want to hit like a, a an air current or something that takes mm. them straight back down again, because that's obviously a problem. So you have to sort of work out, you know, a way of doing it so that they stay up. They won't yeah. stay up forever, but they, you know, they're they can... raining down on me, brothers, and you <laughs> fucked it. <laughs> Oh, and oh, actually, sulfate and and water. Oh, great! We've how, got how do acid. they how do they mix? Do they mix well? <laughs> we basically got acid rain. Um, yeah. So, but the idea is they stay up there. They reflect mm-hmm. sunlight. Um, balloons might not work, to be honest. And people have talked about maybe sort of using aircraft, but you know, for aircraft to get that high. Mm. quite difficult so like fighter planes can do it but they can't carry a lot of sulfate and uh, people have talked about adapting you know tanker planes or whatever but they just it's a lot of work to adapt a tanker plane to go mm. up into the stratosphere mm. so essentially what people think is we're going to have to have a fleet of specially designed planes to carry this stuff up there and nobody wants to pay for that yet how controllable is is it in in i guess i mean how much am I putting up there and how much of an impact is it having? And to answer your previous question, or to rephrase your previous question, like who's deciding yeah. and and where is it affecting? Yeah. So if I press the button over the UK, mm. where is that going? Yeah. Yeah, so that, I got Gurnall to walk me through all of that. Now, you know, all of this is relative, but controllable in the sense that, right, every ton of CO2 released today, 40% of the stuff is still up there a thousand years from now, right? Long term, very little control, if you will, with solar geoengineering. Again, control is all relative, and one of the big questions is who controls, who decides, and so on. But yeah, it feels like sort of this all-powerful dial, if you will, were those, in fact, managing, monitoring, running this potential intervention, have the kind of control that, frankly, lets you say, okay, let's, you know, slowly ramp up things over a decade or two and slowly ramp them down too again, as opposed to basically saying, oh, this is the sort of thing that you decide once and then you're stuck with it. And you can never touch it again, right? Not at all. So, yeah, relatively speaking, solar engineering is potentially very controllable technology. I can't quite tell if it's the it's the concept or Gernot's slightly creepy delivery um, <laughs> that is making me feel uneasy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and actually, I, I know we're being flippant about you know, you've got to get it in the right place because it's sulfates. And if they just sort of start raining down, then it's going to be acid rain. But actually, it's not going to stay out there forever. So is this not just another way of polluting the atmosphere? I mean, it is, isn't it? <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, effectively it is. As we said, like you're putting stuff up there that may not stay where you want it to stay. And probably will combine with water vapor in the atmosphere to produce a kind of acid 
<laughs> let's call it acid rain. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to avoid saying it. Hmm. But, and and so it is polluting the atmosphere. And interestingly, you know, we've cleaned up the sulfur dioxide a lot in the, in the air. Yeah. Um, uh, since we had the whole sort of acid rain crisis. And that has led to a rise in temperature because that stuff was helping to cool the planet. So uh, so air pollution actually does, in some senses, help to cool the planet and reflect uh, sunlight. And, and so we've sort of decided that we don't want air pollution, we don't want acid rain, mm. uh, and the price we're willing to pay is about half a degree of, of warming. <laughs> it's, quite, it's actually quite funny. It's just, where's well, the choice, guys? Do you want the acid rain... Or horrible, cataclysmic, global warming. You're, you're going to have to have one or the other. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. I'm hoping we're going to go somewhere a bit more optimistic shortly. Um, but we're going to take a quick break now. And when we're back, we'll get stuck into the potential sort of unintended consequences of geoengineering, uh, the future of the field. And, of course, we'll answer our question, can technology save the planet? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what we've got is a horrible trade-off situation between pollution and this potential geoengineering. Yeah, so I mean, we're basically saying, do we want to kill people with air pollution? And let's be honest, that's what it does. It kills people. Uh, but, you know, that will help us keep the planet cooler. Uh, so it'll buy us some time. Or do we want to just get rid of that and just face uh, more warming than than we are comfortable with? Uh, and then, you know, there's sort of, we, we don't know whether it'll actually work. Like, you know, we don't have no. concrete proof that it will actually work. And there's knock-on effects that are likely from it. And Gernot pointed out that actually what this thing does is distract us from what we should actually be doing, you know, as in reducing carbon emissions. Yeah. So, so you, you know, put a band-aid on. It's a yeah. real sort of pact with the devil. Mm. Mm. Well, okay, so there's clearly lots of people who, frankly, you know, I include it when you hear about this technology, when you hear about solar engineering, um, this is not something you take lightly. This is not something you would want to have happen, right? It is adding more pollution to the atmosphere, right? That's bad news. We shouldn't have to be in a situation where we are, in some sense, potentially forced to make this kind of decision. So, yes, there are risks. Yes, there are downsides, beginning, frankly, with what I might consider the biggest downside, which is even us just talking about solar geoengineering 
might lead some, especially of course those with their vested interests, to want to frankly continue the status quo, right? The fossil interests that don't want us to cut pollution. Uh, as we speak, that don't want us to cut, uh, cut uh, fossil fuel use, oil, coal, gas use, um, for them to basically say, oh, cool, there is this techno fix out there. Told you so. Don't need to cut emissions. Don't need to cut pollution. Um, let's just, you know, continue living the way we do, driving our SUVs, living in our big houses and so on, burning fossil fuels left and right. And at the same time, let, you know, let's just do this. Let's just do solar engineering, this techno fix, and everything will be fine. Um, and the short answer is, of course, no. Right? So this moral hazard, that's what this trade-off is often called, is in fact uh, bad news. Right? It's, uh, it's detrimental to our efforts to try to have a semi-rational conversation about what to do about climate policy. And frankly, a good way to think about solar engineering is in fact as a potential intervention that does come with side effects, that has risks. And frankly, that should lead us to conclude that, wait, if serious scientists are talking about that, maybe there is something to this global warming after all. Maybe, you know, we should be cutting pollution more than we currently are in order to avoid this sort of potential intervention. Ah, oh God, this is reminding me of our sexuality episodes when we were talking about it. <laughs> being like, hmm, I am interested in this research, but I also don't want anyone else to hear it <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. I worry about what they'll do with the information. It's sort of that thing about mm. research falling into the wrong hands, isn't it? Yeah. Or even like talking about this stuff yeah. is almost problematic. Sort yeah. of for, for, from the start. So, so as soon as you say, oh, you know, there might be technologies that fix the whole thing, then yeah. you're letting everyone off the hook, effectively. Yeah. yeah. Well done, us. Oh. I mean, well, let's wrap up this episode quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult because we don't know what the sort of long-term effects will be. We don't know what happens when you put you know, a decent amount of sulfates into the, into the stratosphere uh, and you affect the climate in different parts of the world in different ways as well. So Presumably you're going to start affecting weather systems as well. Yeah, so, so you'll get sort of um, cyclones that maybe you wouldn't have got. I mean, ironically, it's a, I mean, it's a bit like the butterfly effect, isn't it? Where you, you will seed, you know, a certain sort of current air, air, air movement and you don't know where that's going to end. Um, the other thing is that, you know, you can do this and say you did it for like a year and said, oh, this is, this is all right. Or, or oh, uh, this hasn't really worked. And then you just stop doing it. And, you, and you've, you know, you've not solved anything at all. You, you've basically put more stuff in there and you've wasted a year in terms of, reducing carbon emissions yeah. so you, you've sort of delayed the whole thing uh so yeah so it's not it's not it's not good because partly because we just don't know enough about how this is going to work are we uh, can we test any of these methods um i mean in theory you can test these but actually the sort of experiments that have been proposed as tests of this thing mm. have there's two one called spice and one called scopex and um and in fact gurnup was involved in one of them uh, and they just got sort of shut down effectively by people saying i don't want you to test this because um even though they were talking about you know really relatively small amount of injection of, of sulfates into the into the stratosphere uh, people were like saying but that is 
like you've started doing it. It's mm. not, there's no experiment where you test it because once you've done it, you've sort of started doing it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you just do it on a smaller scale, but you still do it. Yeah. Yeah. They, so they basically got shut down. So you haven't been able to do any testing of these things, even at a small scale. Uh, nobody can agree on whether you actually should do the testing. It's literally like a meta problem of, of deciding whether to do the test of the method mm. because the method is kind of like the test. Um, and, and there's a, so, so you can move to the sort of less scary technology like marine cloud brightness. I was going to say, shoving a bit of seawater on top of some clouds. That should be all right. That should be it? all right. Yeah. So, um, so people have actually been doing that in Australia uh, and uh, on a very small scale, mm-hmm. but a sort of small scale experiment where they sprayed um, seawater onto clouds um, and uh, over the Great Barrier Reef, because the Barrier Reef had massive problems with coral bleaching mm-hmm. because of the, the heating. So they, like, you can do local, maybe you can just do local change mm-hmm. for that, and that sort of works. Uh, uh, the trouble is with that, that they did these experiments, and they've done some, I think it was 2015 and 17 and 19 but they've never published the actual outcomes of these things. And the outcomes... Always a worry. <laughs> yeah. And the outcomes are actually very difficult to measure anyway. It's like, how do you decide what you're yeah, going to measure? Yeah, yeah. What counts as success? So actually, you know, it, it's sort of not really going anywhere. And the scale at which they did it, um, they, they had a ship with um, like 320 nozzles that were spraying seawater up. And they think they'll need probably about 3,000 nozzles. Mm. So, so obviously that's going to cost money to scale that up but you don't know whether it's done anything or not. So, you know, it's a sort of a massive sort of gamble, basically. Um, and, I mean, they say that that could reduce... If you scaled it up, you could get about 6.5% reduction of the solar radiation onto the Great Barrier Reef. So that that would sort of do something. Yeah, yeah. But even then, you'd require basically about a 1,000 ships doing this to cover the Great Barrier Reef alone. Hmm. I mean, a thousand ships over the Great Barrier Reef. Not a great look, is it? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. <laughs> what about... So, space mirrors are out, presumably. <laughs> space mirrors are out. I mean, I mean unless so space Elon... Space mirrors never felt in. I mean, unless Elon Musk or some you know, tech billionaire is willing to fund an entirely selfless experiment mm. and just sort of, you know, make these... I mean, you know, Musk has launched all those Starlink satellites and you could say well he could launch the butterflies effectively up to the lagrange point but i don't think he's going to do that i don't think he's going to do that no so uh and 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 to do the stratospheric aerosol injection Mm. you're talking about you know a few billion basically to get the air airplanes to Mm. do it so i mean that's doable a few billions all right that's doable you know but but you know it's sort of Nobody wants to sort of press the button on, you know, okay, mm. let's let's do it. And and then that's partly because nobody wants to to engage with that issue of who gets to decide when we do this and where for how long and where and what's a good enough level of risk, what's an acceptable level of risk for this. Also, if it goes catastrophically wrong, which you have to sort of entertain as a possibility, and causes like really awful extreme weather events. Yeah, over a country that hasn't signed off on it, you've got real sort of geopolitical problems there. You really have. Because if yeah. America have just fired up a load of uh, sulfate into the stratosphere, and then suddenly Pakistan is getting uh, is getting whirlwinds or whatever. Yeah, I and mean, I'm just making this up. I don't think they're going to be very happy. 
No, you, no, I'm, you can. I mean, I'm right about that. I'm yeah, uh, and the Americans would say it probably wasn't us because you know you can't yeah, pin not, it you can't on really us. Prove that. No, yeah, exactly. Go, well, <laughs> so the whole thing is sort of really, really tenuous. Um, mm. Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, what we're saying really is we're not that close to doing any of this, but are we having conversations that are leading us in the right direction? Well, uh, that's one of the things I ask, uh, not. Frankly, where we are right now, in many ways, the sort of global scientific community, if you will, is we are still at the beginning stages of research here. The beginning stages of thinking about coming up with concerted or uh, global, ideally, uh, national research programs to, frankly, answer lots and lots of open questions around solar geoengineering interventions. Um, And that's where things should be at the moment. We simply don't know enough to decide anytime soon, when I say anytime soon, let's say, you know, within a decade or so, whether this intervention is sensible. We know enough to know that it is potentially powerful and in fact does potentially a lot of good. Um, We also know enough to know that there are potential risks, um, there are potential drawbacks, there are costs. And yes, all of that needs to be studied. So no, if you were to ask me right now, should we be deploying solar engineering now? My definitive answer would be no, absolutely not. Uh, not now. We don't know enough. Should we be doing the research? Yes, absolutely. So fundamentally, if I'm looking for a kind of silver techno bullet to solve climate change i'm going to be disappointed because there isn't one there really isn't are there any other i'll just cycle you through some of the things that i've sort of heard people talk about or know about that is in in the discussion other than solar geoengineering so carbon capture and storage that's been knocking around for a while any <laughs> it doesn't really work very well. It's really expensive. Really expensive. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, there's a plant in Canada that was sort of supposed to be the, the like, you know, the poster boy for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just just hasn't really worked. It was meant to, to capture like 90% of emissions from this power plant. Yeah. And basically, it hasn't done anywhere near that. And it keeps breaking down. Um, it's, it's something about it, it's capturing 44% is the latest sort of figure. Uh, when it's working which is i mean better than nothing so effectively the idea is you park it next to a power station and it sucks well it's literally in the chimneys effectively so it just like cleans the stuff out takes the carbon Uh, i think the idea is you mix it with water and then sort of bury it underground um and (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that'll be fine Uh, don't don't worry about that (laughs) when we say bury it underground that's in quotes actually we're just like there's a lake Uh, yeah, so it, it's it's sort of basically n- not been working that well since 2015. Mm. Yeah, so for the last few years, it's sort of it, it's just sort of not, and and it's expensive, right? So so you yeah. know who's paying for that? And the whole point of that is that's working on fossil fuel burning plants, and so the easiest thing is not stop, to have them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. stop stop producing them. Okay. Yeah. So, so carbon yeah, capture no. storage, no, a not very good. B uh, expensive. C um, Again, you're sort of... It's sort of philosophically it. not yeah, the way to go, it isn't make, it? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, painting everything white is sort of a, you know, 
Well, I mean, option. we've known about this for a long yeah. time, right? And and it's just not happening. So people, no. like New York changed its building codes to encourage like people to use like, lighter coloured materials on roofs and stuff. And, and there's been a bit of sort of using lighter tar- coloured tarmac, but it's not really gone anywhere. People just haven't, haven't really haven't, gone with haven't it. Haven't adopted it. No, yeah. sorry. What about um, carbon sequestration? Yeah, so that's sort of direct capture from the air. So you mm. literally just try and pull the carbon out of the air. So actually, uh, the, there's... Like one, trees. I mean, trees Like, like yeah. trees, amazingly. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's one, the world's, world's largest direct air capture facility has uh, is just being built in Iceland at the moment. And it's, it's basically, it's going to take a couple of years to build and it will remove 0.00... 1% of the carbon emitted annually. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your service. <laughs> so, so you need a million of these things on the planet just to get to net zero, like let alone sort of going back to like pre-industrial levels when, you know, so to net zero, a million of these things. And of course, yeah, they're expensive and unproven as yet. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm not seeing it as the, mm. the big solution. Have I missed anything? No, I mean basically that's, that's it. it. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it's not great, actually, is it? Should we just cut emissions? Yeah, we. Uh, if we don't do that, then we're screwed. Yeah, that, that's the simple truth. And I think everyone does know that. Yeah. Um. But it is probably quite good to sort of... Um, to lay yeah, it out, isn't it? Isn't it quite good say, to go through that process of just yeah, like, oh... We, we don't have anything. We really don't have yeah. anything at the moment. Let's is, stop pretending that we do. Out. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it is annoying the way that techno-optimists sort of talk about stuff. They're like, yeah, yeah, but we always, thought, we always come up with solutions. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're, we're trying and we've got fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the simple fact. <laughs> so I asked Gernot, you know, our, our question, can technology save the planet? Well, I know the answer, no. <laughs> it's too late for us not to look to technology as a potential intervention that helps save the planet will technology alone do it and you know lets us off the hook and nothing else has to change of course not but whether it's solar geoengineering or heat pumps or induction stoves or solar panels or electric vehicles none of these technologies on their own will do it in combination with the right policies yes they might They ought to be, in many ways, part of the solution, but frankly, only part of the solution. One of the big journeys for me in this episode has been going from finding Gernot's delivery quite unsettling to really enjoying it. Really warm. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want to listen to Gernot more now. Well, I mean, I think he's sugarcoating it there i think he's sort so, of yeah. saying that let's keep exploring these options i think you know as part of me sort of hates the fact that scientists and technologists will say oh but maybe we can find a solution when we know the solution the solution is just to to stop burning fossil fuels and i know that's painful and i know that economically it's incredibly difficult but sometimes you have to do the difficult thing that you can do as opposed to the difficult thing that you can't do like you know the, these techno solutions mm. But you'd still, 
But I get his point, though. You would still be interested to know if any of those could have an impact. And he he's very clear. They're not going to be the whole solution. But they're not, they, he, they can't they're not even anywhere near no. part of the solution. When you think about how... Well, it's actually the whole solution it, is stop burning. Yeah, I mean, we started, didn't we? Yeah. We started with the M25s on fire. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, when the UK has that kind of uh, extreme weather event, we don't really, like, do extreme weather, do we? Yeah, not, it, no, it's, not sort of, it's not part of our culture and history. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, maybe we need to stop fanning around mm. and actually just impose something that will hurt. But, yeah. but, you know, 50 years down the line, we'll say we're glad we did it. It is, actually. When you, when you, when you sort of boil it down to that, it's insane that we've got this problem and we know exactly what's causing the problem. <laughs> But we're we're so pig headed that we won't yeah. we we won't take action on that. Instead, we're trying to float sixteen trillion silver butterflies <laughs> at the Lagrange point. <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally anything. It's like a headline from the onion, isn't it? <laughs> Humans uh, love burning coal yeah. so much. Yeah. That we put a, a million ships on the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> And the fire hose in the clouds. <laughs> Guys! Ah, <laughs> oh, humans. Absolute bozos. Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Gernot Wagner. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.